Welcome back to In the Queue, film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Phil, and today we have a very special episode. Uh, we're departing from our usual format mm-hmm. of reviewing films to talk about a industry problem that has been making the headlines lately. It's something that uh, is, seems to be uncovering a, a very long-held tradition of sexual harassment and aberrant behavior in Hollywood. And now lots of people are speaking out against certain individuals who have been accused of this type of behavior. Um, we are very fortunate to have on the program today um, a friend of mine, someone that I work with, Dear Dahaj, who worked professionally in the entertainment industry since 1984 as an actress, producer, and in public relations. Uh, Deirdre, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, Deirdre is somebody that I reached out to who I knew uh, worked in the Hollywood community for a time period. And she's here today to talk to us about this Me Too campaign and this issue of sexual harassment, inequality, uh, aberrant behavior. We've been hearing continuously about certain specific people like Harvey Weinstein and James Toback who have hundreds of people coming out against them for their behavior. And uh, I would like to talk to open it up with Andrew, of course, my co-host is here. Say hi, hi to everybody, Andrew. Hi, how's it going, everybody? <laughs> uh, we're, we have some questions for Deirdre. And basically, this episode is all about getting the perspectives of an insider in Hollywood who worked for a number of years and, and has something to say about this epidemic of what's been going on. Indeed. So, um, yeah. So, Andrew, go ahead and um, let's let's begin. Yeah, uh, Deirdre, uh, likewise, uh, as Phil said, we're super happy to have you on the show, um, especially to talk about this issue, as it has been one that's been, uh, you know, uh, it's long, it's a long-running tradition, I guess, uh, not just in Hollywood, just of men in power in general. Um, so, uh, I guess I want to start with just the simple questions, which are, uh, where are you originally from and, uh, what was your ambition to begin with when you were getting into the industry, into Hollywood? Thanks. I, am. Um, I grew up on the East coast mm-hmm. and, um, wanted to actually first be a filmmaker and, uh, was in high school and was spotted in an audition and someone urged me to become trained as an actor. And so I went to a conservatory on the East Coast and moved to New York, had an agent, and then eventually went to LA. So I started my career in New York, right out of college. Um, and thought then, well, I'll, I'll be an actor first and then I'll become a filmmaker, you know, um, which was not an uncommon path, but it was still kind of rare. Um, in those days for women to have their own production company or or anything like that. But it seemed like the right path to do. And, you know, when somebody presents that in front of you, it it made sense. Sure, sure, definitely. And and when you were getting into the industry at that point, what was your expectation of Hollywood when you first arrived on the scene? So, you know, it's interesting when, so we talk Hollywood, of course, I, (laughs) you know, my, my, my career started in New York and there was sure. film and TV in New York. And um, I was trained in a school in New York. And I have to tell you, it starts in training. It starts in school. And um, I was in a really pretty well-known program with a lot of actors whose names you'd know, um, even though it was small, it was very prestigious. And, um, you know, we had this one acting teacher and 
somewhere about junior, senior year, they, they decided that we needed a different acting teacher and they brought in this guy who is now deceased and he had worked in both television and, and in theater. And he was fond of saying if we would, so our, it was our senior year, so we're getting ready to enter the industry. And those people that were gonna go to Los Angeles, he would say, if you're going to LA, you need to have either cocaine or pussy. And if you don't have one, you better get the other. So that's school, right? So that's setting the tone. You haven't even graduated, right? Right. Um, people would do scenes. So, and, you know, you talk about the, the female side of it. He would consistently, if there was a guy on stage, say, you know, take your shirt off and now do the scene you know, to make that actor more vulnerable or what he considered more masculine. And the fact is, is that in acting school, you know, there are no boundaries for a good reason. You're dealing with the very essence of humanity, of what it is to be a human. So you are being vulnerable and you are doing things that the ordinary person would not do in school. So to a certain extent, I think you find those things appropriate. And I think also, you know, there are time periods in our lives where something in context might be taken differently than it would now out of context. Um, but I will never forget that quote. You need cocaine or pussy. And if you don't have one, you better get the other. I was so young. I even found the statement confusing. <laughs> sure. What does that mean? Like, I was that young and naive, you know? Wow. Yeah. I mean, so... You, that's kind of an inkling of what the business you were stepping into was was like back then. Right. Um, when you were actually when you did arrive in Hollywood and you started working um, at, during your career, did you witness the kind of harassment that many people are now speaking about and coming forward to uh, to call out against these you know yeah. powerful men in Hollywood? Yes, but I think it's it's more than that. I think it's so. First of all, this this harassment is not just Hollywood, right? We've already heard it's happening in Congress, which is not a shock. Um, it happens in business all the time. It has forever. And in, in my opinion, it's, you know, ever since the cavemen where a bigger person can bonk someone over the head and drag them into their cave, I mean, that's sort of what we're set up with. Um, and even if things are changing in the United States or, or perhaps will change in the US for women, Worldwide, women are more poor, they're in poorer health, right? So just worldwide, women are not well off. If you look in the U.S. and we talk about the, the industry I was stepping in to, well, so let's talk about just getting off the train and going to work, okay? So my parents lived outside of the city, so I would take the train in. And in those days in Grand Central Station, um, there were phone booths, and the phone booths were glass down to your waist, and then it was wood. Those were the old phone booths. And more than once, a guy would be next to me when I would try to call home, say when I was coming home, jerking off. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's just living your life. And I would even beg my boyfriend. I would say, just walk 10 feet behind me. Because it doesn't matter if you're pretty, it doesn't matter if you're fat, it doesn't matter what you look like. If you're a woman and you're walking down the street in New York, you are subjected to whatever commentary a man wants to make. Everything from, why don't you smile at me, to something worse, okay? So before we talk about the industry, we're mm -hmm. talking about an industry that reflects humanity, right? 
So that's just number one. When I was in college, I had already booked my first job. Um, I was on a daytime soap. And by the time the summer rolled around after graduation, another buddy of mine was also on the soap. And he was a guy. He was a male. And I remember going to my agent and saying, so my buddy is over at this other show. Why is he making more than me? He's mm. making like a grand more a day than I am. And the agent, without blinking, saying, well, of course, he's a guy. So this is 1984, right? Yeah. That was just, I'm to accept this. There's, you know, the idea that I should be paid the same was not even in the realm of possibility. Just that's what it was. So those are the early days of my career. That's before LA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you get much worse from there. Well, I would say LA, it's a different, um, yeah, it's different. It's certainly different. I mean, I think there's a couple of things to remember. Um, First of all, women were part of this too. I think casting directors, the way they talk about actors, the way they, and this is male and female. You know, I've, I've been at parties in LA where I remember very distinctly a producer wanting to cast a big film and this is in the 90s, probably, and somebody talking about Bette Midler. And the way they spoke about Bette Midler was so abhorrent. And, you know, you just feel like saying, okay, so this is like this multi-talented human being, and you've reduced her to breasts and a belly. Like, mm-hmm. it is just so disgusting. And that happens all the time, men and women, you know? Um, so for me, when I read the allegations and people were so shocked. I was like, who is professing shock here? It's an industry completely set up for that kind of behavior. And certainly I'd heard of that behavior and experienced that behavior, not, uh, not rape. I had not heard about rape, but men pleasuring themselves in front of women and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I heard yeah. That. that- and actually, uh, what you were just saying, Deirdre, reminds me of, or it makes me think about the fact that when these allegations, uh, specifically with regards to Harvey Weinstein, came out and all the stories started coming out, um, how surprised a lot of people were that there seemed to be this sort of honeypot, for a lack of a better word, where the there would be an uh, assistant to uh, Mr. Weinstein who would be a female and would bring them into the room, make them feel safe, and then would leave at some point. So this person knows what is happening. This person is facilitating the abuse. But, um, you know, I think people were shocked uh, that, you know, it, it, it could happen this way or that, that uh, there were women who were complicit in, in, in the, the, the act itself. Um, well, I think you have to remember everybody, the way they talk about L.A., and let's again be be very clear that this is not rampant um but that it might be sorry i'm getting a little signal here uh it's not rampant but it but it's it's always been accepted right right and that's just clear um i i would have to say i mean let's not even talk about actors why don't we talk about writers rooms do you remember how roseanne would object to the writers' rooms and talk about that. Yeah. How is a woman supposed to work in a in a writers' room? Some women are fine with it, right? 
But there's no way in a writer's room, and I've heard this before, where people get in an argument or they're playing around and it's like, oh, please suck my dick, right? Like, and that's just a comment that might happen. Sure. But they're all, they're continually set up to be anti-female. You know, even I, I talk about how Bill Maher, who's the liberal of all liberals, when he would complain about Trump, he'd call him a whiny little bitch. And I'm like, you're not even aware of your own misogyny. <laughs> you're not even aware that the language you're using makes you out to be a misogynist. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm kind of a Bill Maher fan, but that would always sort of land with me. So anyway, yeah, I think, I think um, women in auditions, when there was nudity involved or if there was going to be a love scene involved, that was always really common that you would have a woman to be there. But I think, you know, in the level that you're talking about, if somebody that powerful says, oh, this is a friend, leave us alone, bring us two waters and leave us alone, yeah. what are you supposed to do? You know, I mean, I even remember there was an attorney that I worked for and he even had like a button under his desk so he could close the door without getting up. And I remember a particular female star going in there and the door closing and me being like, whoa, what is going on yeah. right now? You know? Um, so yeah, it puts you in a very awkward position. Very awkward. Yeah. Um, well, so with this, in the face of this like public coming forward and, and huge names coming forward and, and, and admitting that they were victims of this behavior, do you foresee that this situation will get better? That this longstanding tradition will change? I do. I think, I think it will. Is it substantial and long lasting? I don't know. I mean, we just saw the data showing that for women to have equal pay parity, it's going to take two decades, right? And what could happen in those two decades where women's rights get shoved to the back burner again? I, I was recently having dinner with some women who are probably 20 years my senior, and they were saying, well, this is it. This is the change we've all been waiting for. And I said, well, with all due respect, when you were burning your bras, you know, in 1972 and expecting the ERA to come through, didn't you think that was the change? And wasn't that supposed to be the change? Wasn't the Women's March supposed to be the change? Like, we have a president now who this behavior has been normalized by 50% of the people that voted for him, or 100% of the people that voted for him, but 50% of the people in the country. This is okay somehow. And that was not locker room talk. Yeah. We're all very clear about that now. That was like what this guy expects. The most powerful man in the world. Deirdre, I've read that many men who are attracted to the film industry as a profession see it as a way to wield power over actors and prey on them uh, sexually. And you did kind of speak to this earlier in our discussion, but I just wanted to know, you said that it wasn't rampant, but it was there. And uh, I'm going to rephrase this question a little bit to say, how, why do you think it was there sometimes and not there other times? Well, because I don't think everybody's a sexual predator or I don't think everybody thinks that's normalized. I mean, I had executive producers that would come in my dressing room when I was getting dressed. Um, I, I had 
people that would audition me and then as we got closer to the job, you know, make it clear that it would happen if I was, you know, in a, in a relationship with them that I didn't want to be in, which I did not take them up on. Um, and I know even worse stories with girlfriends, which I believe. Um, but I think, you know, do, do men get into the entertainment industry to prey on others? No, I think men get into many positions of power to prey on others if they're sexual predators. You know, we know this about the military, that rape in the military is horrific and difficult to prove. And, and the system is set up almost impossibly for the person to, you know, object to their perpetrator. Um, but I think in LA, you know, there's a lot of what my, my, uh, someone close to me refers to as stunted eighth graders. And I do <laughs> think that's really true. I think there are a lot of really awkward, uh, people who probably, you know, did not have the same upbringing or a lot of luck in high school, let's put it that way. And, and a lot of those people are innocuous. And then there are other people who are just flat out mean. And it's, it's not about sex. It's about power. It's not about sex. So because here you are in a business where you are selling sex quite often, in film and TV, whether it's, you know, again, I use the word innocuous, like just a pretty young thing on the Disney channel, or it's a woman doing a love scene in a movie, there's an element of sexuality, you know, in all of entertainment. And it's round, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, well, uh, in in light of all of that, um, Deirdre, and this this may be a non sequitur, it may not, but what motivated your shift uh, to move from acting to produ- producing? Um, I know I know personally that I have a lot of friends uh, here in the in the comedy world in New York who have moved from one thing to another. They move usually out of acting and <laughs> for one reason or another. Um, but what motivated your shift from acting into producing? Oh, there's a multitude of things. I mean, I I looked very young for my age, so I was still going up for roles, even on on stage. I was going up for ingenue roles when I was in my 30s. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you just get frustrated artistically. You're tired of playing the same thing after a decade. Um, I wanted to be a mom. Um, I was married. I but really what it was was that I remembered that I'd wanted to make movies. You know, and I would sit on sets and be like, well, why are we shooting this first? And this doesn't make any sense. And this should be written this way. And that person's just going to get hot. We should do that later when the sun moves. Like, it was very clear that I saw the macro. And actors have to really just pay attention to the micro. And I was kind of bored with the micro. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think where my, where my talent lies is seeing the big picture, making sure all the pieces are moving together. Um, which is what a producer does in many ways. I'm also just a really good advocate for other people. <laughs> That's a good skill for a producer to have. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're the person pulling all the people together. You you better be able to advocate for all of them. Right. Yeah. That's great. Um, did any, 
older actors in in the industry or or people really anybody in a, a position of seniority i suppose uh, give you advice or warn you about the profession or try to discourage you from uh, from following that path? Uh, um, I think I think when you want to be an actor, everybody discourages you. <laughs> that's very, that's very <laughs> true. It starts with your parents and then it goes right from there. Um, and I, I believe that anybody that wants to be an actor, there's nothing you can say to them that will keep them from doing it. If they're meant to be an actor, they're going to act. And um, and I was lucky, you know, and I was on some great shows and had a good career. Um, but I think in terms of discouraging me, yeah, I think everybody that isn't in the business thinks you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Did you get any discouragement from people within the business? I mean, I, I think older professional people would talk about what you have to endure. Um, sure. But in the end, you know, it's it's been a pretty good life. I mean, it's it, it is work. You know, I, I think people think that you're just going to get in there and get a TV series and your life changes. And that doesn't happen. Even if you get the TV series or the film, you're constantly out of work again. Um, it, it is a frustration that I find myself in now with other artists is this attitude of I should always be employed. And I'm like, man, I was an actor. I'm, you're unemployed all the time. And yeah. people tell you no. And, and people don't even tell you no nicely. And they may <laughs> tell you no because of the color of your hair or the size of your waist or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not personal. It's about people are curating a thing, if you will. Um, and you didn't fit their image of what that was. Yeah. And sometimes you do. And sometimes you don't. Well, Deirdre, you've spoken about the, how certain people in Hollywood were in some way complicit to the, uh, the predatory behavior of some of their bosses. And um, now it seems like that, that behavior has is, is become so objectionable to anybody who's on social media because it's all over social media. Right. Um, the people who were there at the at that time, though the assistants who who the honeypots, as Andrew mentioned, who were brought in to make women feel comfortable. Um, do you? Is there any way? Hold on a second. <laughs> I'm just trying to think about. It. I want to. I want to phrase this a little bit differently from what uh, from what's written here. So, Deirdre, the 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 women that Andrew mentioned as as being the honeypots, uh, the ones who were working with. Harvey Weinstein, for example, to make women feel more comfortable when they met with him. Um, what do you think that their overall role was? Was their role really just to bring women to these predators? Uh, was no. no. I mean, if you're an assistant, first of all, this is a business. And I worked as an assistant. I actually worked to an assistant to one of the longest married men in in the business um, and worked in his home. So, you know, as his personal assistant, assistants are doing everything from getting them cash from the bank to connecting phone calls to the head of the studio to, I mean, you are doing an enormous amount of work. So when I say they were complicit, I don't mean like they knew exactly what was happening, but I think it's a lot like those of us that have been sensitized over the last 20 years to what child abuse looks like. 
you know, if somebody comes in and that kid's not bubbly and they fall a lot, you suddenly have a different viewpoint about the parents and you're like, you know, something's not right here. And I think the job is going so fast and your, your, your boss, you know, fires you daily. There are a lot of assistants who get fired every day, literally they'll fire you every day. And then you come in the next day and they've forgotten all about it because they're rage alcoholics. <laughs> and um, no, I'm very serious. Yeah, I know yeah. that, that would happen to. So I don't think that they were complicit. Like I am deliberately setting this up. I think that the behavior became normalized and I am sure nobody thought it went as far as it did. Um, I just don't believe that people would have done that willingly. I just think that the normalized behavior has gone so far that anything would go. So let's talk a little bit about some of the other people that you encountered in Hollywood who are not such flagrant offenders. Um, you mentioned that it wasn't, this type of behavior wasn't rampant. Who were the people that you met in those days who you remember as being forward thinking or crusading against sexual harassment or, or uh, creating like more of a, a spirit of equality? Do you have okay. stories about that? Yeah, you're going to think this is hilarious, but um, Playboy. So I knew people that worked for Playboy and they felt safe. They felt um, cared for in a weird way. Mm -hmm. I, I like no again this is not playboy now i have no idea what the business is like now but i knew some really famous playmates and they there were lines and there were boundaries there were i knew actresses who this is the time of basic instinct right so those mm -hmm. contracts were written very specifically there were body doubles um there were rules on the set and i remember doing a gig with a, a friend who had to do a, a naked love scene and the rules weren't there for her. And, and I remember before she was so nervous and she was like, and I'm like, you're gonna be fine. Cause I know these other girls and they've been taken care of and there are these rules, right? Of how things go. And they didn't do that with her. And she came back a wreck. So yeah, and that was not a Playboy shoot. So my point being like the playmates were, that I knew, they knew what they were doing. They, there was a deal there, but there were boundaries. So yeah, I would say they did it well. And I know that sounds ironic, but it's true. <laughs> that was my experience. The girls I knew that worked with Playboy were well well cared for. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I have to be honest about that, but it's true. <laughs> of course, of course. So you had alluded earlier, Deirdre, to uh, uh, starting off in New York and then Los Angeles being an entirely different beast. Uh, what prompted you to move to Los Angeles uh, out of New York? Was it just the business or was it was it a combination of things or well, what, what it, prompted it was, you, I guess? <laughs> yeah, it was the business. I was constantly going up for roles and where I would get called back and called back were shows that were shooting in L.A. Hmm. So I recognized that probably my career was there. Um, and I was also tired of living in the East and you know, being on a subway, looking at everybody being sad and depressed. And I was like, I want to go where the palm trees are. I deserve to go to the palm trees. So yeah, I moved to LA for the easier lifestyle. And it is easier to be broke in LA, let's be honest. Um, and to work more in television, which I did um, once I left New York. 
there just weren't that many shows in New York shooting there besides daytime in those days. Mm. And after you moved to LA, you definitely encountered a lot of unsavory elements in the business on top of those things or because of those things solely, why did you make the decision to move out of LA? Oh, that was just life stuff. You know, life took us elsewhere and it was time to go. Um, you know, so there were financial decisions and there were career decisions that just made sense for our family. It was not about, oh my God, we have to leave salacious LA. So <laughs> I will say, I will say this is true. So we have a daughter and um, she was in this little drama camp and she was not yet five and they were doing um, Greece. They were doing the little song and dance from Greece and doing, tell me more, tell me more. Oh, and yeah. even though they cut out the verses, I was like, okay, wh wow, um, okay. First <laughs> of all, they're wearing things off their shoulders and it's tell me more, did she, you know, did, did you go very far, yeah. you know? Did you, I mean, it's all about sex and, and she was four. And I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe it's time to leave. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a red flag. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and everybody, I remember she was such a pretty baby. Everybody's like, oh, is she going to model? Are you going to let her model? I was like, no, <laughs> we're not doing that. So, yeah. Yeah. That was a piece of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've always found it interesting, especially with, uh, actors who, who, or anybody in the industry who, people who make the conscious decision for one reason or another not to be based out of New York or LA. I think, uh, I always respect that. <laughs> I, well, we remember, it's changed. Like, I remember sure. I had a good friend, musician who will remain nameless, and he relocated to Austin. And I thought it was such a, a brave thing to do. But the fact is, now, you can work out of anywhere, mm. you know? I mean, the incentives aren't strong in, in all the other states if you're an actor, but, you know, if you're in the business, you can you can work in any business now, kind of anywhere. Um, yeah, but it's still in L.A. And, and L.A. is going to have, look, the people that have drug and alcohol problems go to L.A. And, and be in the business because they have drug and alcohol problems or just the business attract people with drug? And, like, I don't know. I don't know what comes first. Um, but it's a business that is reflecting humanity. And if you're reflecting humanity, it's complicated. You know, it's not Disney. It's complicated and it's raw and it's vulnerable. And so when you're making a business out of that, there's going to be complications. Hmm. Um, and I think it, we've just, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I just couldn't believe how shocked everybody was because I was like, we, we knew who these people were. We, I mean, there were rumors. There were, there were rumors. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Are you still in contact with anybody from the, the community out there in LA? Yeah, sure. Just colleagues and friends and the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. I mean, you know, you work in a business for, your life, you have a lot of friends that are still there and everywhere, for sure. Mm -hmm. Whether they're on screen or behind the screen, you know, behind the scenes. I have a lot of friends in the business. Sure, sure. Uh, and this next question I have for you is, is one that I think you've already kind of addressed in a couple of different uh, ways. 
during this podcast, uh, but it's it's kind of cuts at the heart of of the the entire uh, Me Too campaign and the uh, all of these revelations that have been coming out. Do you believe that Hollywood or the film industry in general is fundamentally a hostile place for women? Yes. Period. Full stop. Full stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, I. There are so many women in the business, and I mean, only now. You know, I, I have to. I, I hate to say this, but I I agree with with James Cameron on this one. So, you know, one. <laughs> you hate to say that you agree with James Cameron. I know. I do. I agree. <laughs> I hate this, but I do. I I am so glad that Patty Jenkins got the keys to the car and that she is finally broken through and that there are a handful of women now that have gotten to do these big budget films. But that is a film with a woman dressed in her underwear as a male fantasy. Can we just be honest about that? And there are little girls, including my daughters, taking this as a, a sign of female empowerment. And I'm like, you know, a woman doesn't have to be like a James Cameron woman either, where she's all torn up and tortured. But I just think that female empowerment it looks different to me than wonder woman who is in her underwear yeah did james cameron trash wonder woman though that's my point is that yeah I, I hate you agree with them yeah oh you hate to agree with them yeah uh well but, but yeah, i mean from the female standpoint yes women even the women run studios women are not giving each other the breaks that men give to each other Women, I think, um, and I believe I've, I've read this, that unlike people of color who help one another up the food chain, women, when they get power, tend to act like white men. Mm. And, and I don't know that that's fundamentally true. I have a lot of really good female friends um, and, and colleagues who have taken good care of me and vice versa. But there's, you know, from the Jennifer Lawrence stories on, where she can't express herself fully or, or forcefully in a meeting without somebody being like, whoa, 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 what's going on? It's mm. like, stop, stop. They do not treat us equally, ever. I had, a, I had a situation recently where I objected to a financial issue in my job um, with a, a, a vendor, a colleague, someone who I had paid for a service and I said, this is unfair. And his response to someone I knew was that my email was snotty. Mm. And I was like, okay, so snotty. So that's not a word you would use with a dude, is it? And I was simply saying, I don't think I should have to pay this fee. My company should not pay this fee because you rented me this broken thing. Right? <laughs> Very and reasonable. My yes. email was snotty. My tone was snotty. And it's like, wow. So if a guy had said that to you, it might have been a different discussion. You know, I, I think it's consistent. I think we are born into this world facing it. And like I said, very difficult to be in the United States of America and complain because I'm not a woman in Saudi Arabia or in another country where maybe I don't have equal rights or in India where they just got the right to drive like in the 80s. Um, no, but but we're a long way off. We're a long way off. Yeah. And it's consistent. And I generally see that a lot of guys, it just, they miss it until they experience it firsthand or they're with a female that they care about and see that person experience it. Even how you talk about negotiating in business 
it's different. Well, I think we're still waiting to hear the final outcome of if there's going to be convictions in some of these most high-profile offenders like Weinstein and James Toback. And um, that's certainly something I think we're all going to be keeping an eye on to see uh, how that turns out. Um, because, I mean, you know, when the law steps in and, and really kind of has the the final word about, yes, this is this will send you to jail, then I think we will see some improvements and some change. It'll take a while, as you say, but... Um, also, the fact that the, the, the public consciousness is, 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 is kind of becoming more aware of this, too. I think, that, I think that's it. I think also you have to remember that context is a part of the law with harassment. But with Weinstein, you're talking about rape. Yeah. So, like, rape is an entirely different category, in my opinion. Um, and, and certainly some of the things he did are way beyond harassment, in my opinion. They're, like, so overt. Yeah. Of course, there should be a conviction there if that's true. And, and, you know, my point is when I started, when I was a kid, when I was in college, Molly Ringwald was a star. And, you know, when 16 Candles came out, the very first line she says in 16 Candles is, I can't believe they forgot my fucking birthday. That would never be the first line in a PG film today. (laughs) There's no way you're going to spend your one F word on the very first line with your sweet heroine, Molly Ringwald. And so my point being the business ebbs and flows as we do, right? And what is acceptable and what became acceptable and just kind of grew and grew into this is going to be the way it is. And, you know, from some of what you read in in the old studio days, that was very much the way they talked about the starlets and the starlets were the moneymakers, and, you know, it's, um, yeah, I wish I could say that I think it's going to change. I think a lot of people are frightened right now. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think no question. You know, people thinking twice before they say something and how they approach one another. And I, and I again, I say that about women, too. You know, you can't be a female boss and tell somebody that they need to wear a different kind of shoes or... You know what I mean? Unless their job is about that, you don't get to have those conversations. And, you know, I I think there were a lot of women that just acted like men so that they could be in power. I do. Well, uh, we want to thank you, Deirdre, for talking about this with us. I mean, it's truly eye-opening and, and, um, you know, you've clearly have a lot of experience and, and seen a lot of things that uh, can kind of color this national conversation that we're all having about well, this issue. Doing it. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's not your usual, it's not your usual chat. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, as, as a, as a film podcast, you know, we want to talk about what's going on in the industry and, and it just so happens that what's going on in the industry now is what's going on everywhere. And as you say, this is uh, the film industry reflects the world. And this is something that demanded, you know, somebody's uh, firsthand account. So, so we really thank you for, for talking about it with us. Yeah, thank you, Deirdre. Thank you, guys. And thanks for all of our listeners for listening. And we will catch you next time. Bye.